Good morning. Oh, that sounds so sad. Good morning. There you go. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're looking for. Next week, the time changes. Am I right? So you're going to be in here groggy next week because you lose an hour. But in the end, it's going to be better because you can uh, work in the evening outside all summer long. So good to be here today. I'm glad that you're here today. If you're a guest, thanks for being here. This might be your first time here. If it's your first time here, we'd love to give you a welcome gift uh, at the Welcome Center out in the main lobby. If you're not a guest, that means you came back, and that's always encouraging to a, to a preacher. You came back. Maybe you're giving us a second chance or a third chance, or maybe you're here for the long haul, and that's what I like the best. <clears throat> I've been here for the long haul, and uh, I'm, I'm here to keep hauling, if that's okay with you all. Uh, things are going well. It seems like it's a good combination, a good relationship, and I'd like to keep it going if that's uh, okay. We started a series several weeks ago called Pray for One. Pray for One. It's a great series. It's a great concept. Concept came from, uh, really came from the Bible, but if somebody wrote a book on this, a guy named Bo Chancey, who's a preacher at the, uh, in a church in New Hampshire, recently changed their name from the Manchester Christian Church to something else, but I forget what it was. But he wrote this book, Pray for One, and it's a great concept to help focus us as a church. He wrote this book several years ago, but we just now found the time. You know, we did it all in, that got us through the pandemic, and uh, I, think, I think we're coming out of that. People are comfortable coming to church. If you're still listening online, thanks for listening. Maybe it's not because of uh, your fear of contracting a virus, but you're out of town, or you may be, um, uh, you know, you may be sick today or something. So thanks for listening. I'm looking into the camera here as I say that. Today is uh, March the 6th, 2022. There will be people years from now looking up our sermons, and they'll be watching that. So I gave them the date right there. 316 <clears throat> names have been given so far. 316 ones from our church, uh, all four campuses, 316. That's a pretty good number, isn't it, when you think about it, 316. 316 names to this point. Last week it was 250, and then after last week we had another uh, 76 names. And so uh, we have, uh, is that math right? 66, whatever it is. You know, I'm not into math. Uh, it, so we've, we've uh, maybe that's prophetic. So we've given you a chance, and we're going to do that today to let you come up here <clears throat> and write the name of a one. Now, if you've already written the name of a one, uh, don't write another one until you bring that one to, to the Lord. So you got some work to do, don't you? You got some work to do. You got some bridges to build. You got some conversations to have. You got lots of prayers to make. A lot of work on our part. We didn't say this was gonna be easy. It's not a magic formula. Just because you, uh, you, you pray one time doesn't mean it's going to be so. Uh, you know, we need to be persistent in prayers. Like Jesus told the, the widow, you know, she's persistent when she kept asking. He kept asking. The disciples said, hey, tell her to quit asking. Jesus said, she's persistent. I'd like to see that out of you. And so it takes some patience and persistence. And I believe this series can bring revival to our church. And revival is not a seven-night event or six or five or three. 
A revival is what happens in the hearts of people when they, uh, when they finally surrender to the Lord and to his will and to his purpose for their life. And maybe you woke up this morning or yesterday morning and you didn't know what your purpose was. You weren't sure. What is it, God, you want me to do? What can I do? I only have this set of skills. I only have this gift mix. What can I possibly do? And I want to tell you, there are a lot of things you can't do. There are a lot of things I can't do. And we won't even talk about those things. <clears throat> you know what they are. Don't try to do those things. You'll embarrass yourself. But here's something you can do. And this is unequivocally what everybody can do. You can pray, can't you? Everybody can pray. Isn't it neat how the greatest weapon we have in our tool bag, the greatest thing we can do, everybody can do. Now, I'm not saying you have to pray some lofty prayer like the preacher or uh, the old church leader. You know, I grew up with, uh, with elders in the church, and, and, and when they got asked to pray, I would be like, oh, no, we're going to be here for 25 minutes. Anybody grow up like that? But boy, could they pray. And it was, you know, the older I get, the more I appreciated it, and I appreciate it a whole lot now. And it was almost like they were pre prayer preaching or preach praying. Uh, and you could get a sermon out of that. It, it was good. I'd love to hear some of the old-time leaders and church uh, fathers, if you will, pray today. I'd love to hear them pray. I grew up on that. I had the privilege of growing up in a church like that. And, and when, you, when, you, when you heard him start praying, you just kind of leaned over on the pew in front of you and, um, and, and just uh, listened. So th this prayer is going to happen. And when you're convinced that you got to pray, pray every day. I'm not asking you to pray for all these other things going on in the world. Yes, you should be praying for what's going on in uh, Eastern Europe. You ought to be praying for the hearts of evil leaders and uh, struggling leaders. And you should be praying for people who are fleeing for their life. Don't hear what I'm not saying. You should pray about all that stuff. But your focused prayer in the morning uh, needs to be for your one. It's, Lord, let's start here, okay? And if we have time, we'll get over there. And I want, I want to tell you, don't worry about what's going on over there. God is in control. You hear me? Now, things might be happening, bad things might be happening, and they are, and they always have been. Bad things have been happening in the world uh, since the fall of man. Wars, <clears throat> rumors of wars, bloodshed, genocide, uh, all these things have been happening. They've been happening in lots of places. They haven't always happened where there's oil in the ground. They haven't always happened where national interests are, but they're happening. And we ought to be just as concerned about here as we are about there and over there and down there. You with me? So pray about those things. But what I'm asking you to do this year, especially this concentrated time, I'm asking you to pray for one. Do that first. Spend your time there and then move on uh, to the next things in your prayer life uh, in, in, that, uh, in that time. So good things are going to happen in you and in the, in the life of your one. And I am excited already to, to hear and to start seeing uh, people get into the baptistry with their one. People stand up front here and give a testimony about their one. Or maybe bring their one to the front to pray together. Or maybe just have their one walking around the lobby for the first time ever inside a church building. Or for the first time in a long time. It's going to be exciting to see this place, these seats start filling up with 
with your ones. And not only here, but everywhere. Our Beckley campus today uh, has outgrown its space and is moving into the next bigger space at the Raleigh County Convention Center. Isn't that great? That deserves some applause right there. So they're moving into the next bigger space. I told Russ, I said, Russ, I'm looking for the day where you move into the big convention center, you know, where all the people are up in the stands there. And so um, he said, we can do that on the basketball court, but I don't know if we can do that uh, preaching. But we're going to give it a shot, right? And so every campus is seeing momentum here. So if you haven't settled on your one yet, that's okay. That's all right. You got plenty of time. Today we're going to close the service like we have been, and you can uh, write the name of your one. You can come and pray for your one. You can come and be prayed with. You can take communion, the Lord's Supper. All that will be available to you here, and don't fall asleep with the rain on the metal roof. So today's message is uh, from Matthew 13. Matthew 13, and what I want to do today is with this message, I want to provide encouragement to you to pray for one in a world that is increasingly antagonistic toward us. I want you to pray for one uh, in a world in which our lives are intertwined with, well, with evil, and you're going to hear that in just a moment. This is the, you know, we've been talking about the how how we're going to do this, and the what, what are we going to do. Today's message is kind of answering the why, and next week too. Why should we pray for one? If you didn't know, today's message is going to help you a lot. Why should we, why should we do this? So um, uh, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 13. <clears throat> There's a lot of stuff going on in our world today. There's a lot of things happening as a result of the pandemic. There's stuff happening uh, you know, empty shelves. My wife couldn't even find canned biscuits. And you fellas know what that means? But Karen Shea uh, did finally find some. And I think they're back in the refrigerator, honey. Uh, I meant to tell you that Thursday. But what I told her is she's going to have to learn how to make homemade biscuits. So ladies, if any of you all can help her out, uh, we, we're going to embark on that. <clears throat> so lots of stuff happening, you know, that are putting fear and panic and concern and worry, not the least of which is what's happening in uh, Ukraine and what could happen in other parts of the world. Now, there are a lot of, a lot of people uh, doubting their faith and they're, they're kind of struggling here, but we know that we serve a risen Savior, right? Easter's not far off. He's in control, he's on the throne, and we need to pray for one. Now, Matthew 13 is where this whole series started. I don't know if you remember Sermon Zero. Back in January, we preached kind of a preview sermon when we talked about planting seeds. You remember that sermon? The parable of the sower, <clears throat> the parable of the sower. And it was, uh, you know, it's a very familiar parable of how the sower sowed seeds indiscriminately all over the place, and some of them started up and got choked out or got burned up or uh, some of them came up and started producing good fruit. I told you also an alternative to that parable. You remember the parable of the bomber? Remember that parable? I told you the parable that um, perhaps we would have liked Jesus to have told a parable where a bomber, I don't know if this is appropriate what's going on, but a bomber goes out and drops 
truth bombs on evil places. And when those bombs hit, it, it eradicates, it, it kills off all evil in you, in everything. And that would be kind of nice, wouldn't it? If you have a friend who's <clears throat> kind of contrary to Christianity and they're living a wild lifestyle, they're living a life that you don't approve of, if you could just say, I want to meet you here at uh, Coal River Coffee, I want to talk to you. And there in the course of, of, of uh, 20 minutes and a cup of uh, coal miner's mocha, you could, uh, you could drop a truth bomb on that person and walk out of there and they, and they see the light. Wouldn't that be nice? <clears throat> if you could change hearts and minds that easily and that quickly. But Jesus said, we're not, we're not planting or, or, or dropping bombs we're planting seeds. We're planting seeds. This is the strategy of the kingdom. The strategy of the kingdom isn't to drop bombs, but it's to plant seeds. And when we do this, it takes a lot of time. It takes patience. It takes persistence. We have to be faithful at it. Because the journey for your one to come to the Lord, to come home, might be a tough journey, might be a long journey. It might be a journey through lots of pain and tears and loss of what they think is important. So you're gonna have to be there and hold the hand and pray them through to the end. So it's, it's time and patience. It may not happen this year or next year. It may be five years or longer, but let's be persistent. So the next parable Jesus tells is in Matthew 13. And so I want to read that passage of Scripture. If you would, uh, just with your eyes, read along with me. This is uh, a part of Scripture, and then we're going to skip over some, and then we're going to get to where he explains it, all right? <clears throat> see if I can see it from the back. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds along, among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore, I can't, I can't see it back there. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the weed into my barn. Now that's verses 24 to 30. Okay, keep going. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the close of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. 
The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. And that's verses 36 to 43. So here's this parable. You know, Jesus told a lot of parables. And in Matthew 13, he's telling parables, comparing the parable to the kingdom of heaven. You remember, that's what he started with there in the first part of Matthew 13, when he told the parable of the sower. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And then we're left to figure out what this means. Now, fortunately, Jesus in this chapter explains his parables. And he told the parables, some conversation happened, and then when they got alone with Jesus, they said, explain this parable to us. And then he explained the parable. He said, I want to tell you this parable. You know, this is the parable of what's happening in the history of the world. This parable describes the history of the world since the Garden of Eden. God is sowing seeds, seeds of good, people. He's sowing them in the world. But while we are asleep at night, the enemy, the devil, he comes in and he sows seeds also. So here we are living in the midst of a world where there's both evil and good right among us and even right within us. We fight this battle. The Apostle Paul said, I do the very thing I don't want to do, and I don't do the very thing that I want to do. I'm torn between the, the spirit and the flesh. And I know that every single one of you, because you're human, you're made in the image of God, but you live in a world full of sin and temptation, every one of us deals with this problem. We're torn between. And unfortunately, our lives are so intertwined with the roots of evil in this world. You may not even be aware of how intertwined your life is with, with bad, with evil. <clears throat> I mean, we, we, could, we, could, we could start talking about the daily life that we live and how we're strangely attracted to the things of this world. And how we can give up this, but don't ask me to give up this. Because this is mine. I earned this. I, I, I need this. And so you all deal with this. We all deal with this. The intermingling of our lives with evil. And in the parable, the worker said, what did you do? Did you do this uh, to the master? And he said, no, the enemy has done this. The enemy has done this. What do you want us to go and take them apart? The master said, no, they're so intertwined now. If you try to pull out the bad, you're going to pull out the good. Let them grow until I send the reapers, and that way they'll be fully produced, and the reapers will be able to pull out the bad and throw them away into the fire. Now, this weed is, uh, this Greek word is zizania, Z-I-Z-A-N-I-A, zizania. Say that with me, not lasagna. Zizania, Z-I-Z-A-N-I-A, Zizania. This is a Zizania weed. That's the way it is in the Greek. That's a Greek word right there, Zizania. And it, this weed resembles the wheat. In fact, when it's very young, most people can't tell the difference between this weed and the wheat. 
and until it starts producing fruit, the heads of grain, it, it, it really can't be distinguished, <clears throat> the two of them. That's why the master said, no, because you may not be able to tell the good from the bad. Now, I could really spend a little bit of time here, but I think you get the point. There are things in your life, in my life, that seem good, that we're, we're giving up something better just for something good. It seems good, but really it's zizania. It's made to look good. It's a counterfeit from the devil. You know, the devil's good at counterfeiting what God gives us. God gives us something good, and the devil gives us a counterfeit, a cheap imitation, something phony. And you got to figure out what that is. There's something good in your life that's, that's not the best, <clears throat> and you got to you got to know that that's a weed. That's a weed that needs to be uprooted from your life, but you may not be able to do it, not yet. And so this, is, this, this, weed, uh, this weed one day is going to be dealt with. It's going to be thrown into the fire. And so Jesus explains this parable there as we read, and he talks you know, in practical terms. You know, a parable is an earthly story everybody can relate to, but it has a heavenly meaning. It's, it's deeper, it's bigger, it's divine. And so here we have Jesus telling the earthly story. Everybody can relate to a farmer going sowing and somebody coming in and sabotaging his garden. And then Jesus says, here's the heavenly meaning. And he had to do that every now and then for the disciples because they, they, they didn't get it. They didn't have the benefit like you have of having the Holy Spirit and having some discernment. So they had to have things explained to them. And now eventually they did get the Holy Spirit, remember, in the, in before Jesus ascended. But they, they did not have the benefit of understanding spiritual things like you and I do. You, you and I are going to be responsible, held more accountable for spiritual things than generations in the past who did not know or have not heard. Because we have the Bible, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the church we're going to be responsible for what we do with that. And I'm afraid many of us are squandering that opportunity and, and, uh, and, and thinking lightly of it. <clears throat> so that's the parable. And uh, I, want to, I told you I want to give you some encouragement on why we need to pray for one from this parable. And here, there's, there's only two things. Here's the first one. Judgment day is coming. Judgment day is coming. Judgment day is coming. It's coming. You know, that's what the parable gets to. It's like, you know, let it go. Leave it alone. There's going to come a day of harvest, and I'm going to send my angels down, and they'll separate the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the weeds, and they'll do the job. Judgment day is coming. The day of harvest is coming. You know, Peter tells us in the third chapter of his second letter that there were people in his day who doubted the return of Christ. You can read this in 2 Peter chapter 3. They're scoffers and they're doubting. <clears throat> you know, where is the Lord? You know, you talk about him coming. You Christians say he's coming back. And, you know, this is just still the first century right here, and they're doubting the second coming of Jesus. Now, here we are. 20, 21 centuries later, and he still hasn't come. So if you think there were doubters in the first century that the Lord was going to come back, you know, they really thought it was going to be pretty soon because the Apostle Paul, remember, Apostle Paul said in one place that we 
who are alive and remain. That's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He said, this is how it's going to happen, and we who are alive and remain. So he thought he was going to be alive. So the disciples really thought Jesus was just going to be gone for a little while, and then he was coming back in their lifetime. <clears throat> of course, it didn't happen in their lifetime. Didn't happen in their children's lifetime or their children's children, and we could go all the way down 20 centuries. It still hasn't happened today. Do you doubt that he's coming? If you research on our website our core beliefs, when you go to About Us and then you'll find our beliefs there, you'll see that one of the things we believe about Jesus, one of our core non-negotiable essential beliefs about Jesus is that he will return physically in the body to judge the living and the dead. But a lot of people don't believe in heaven. A lot of people believe in heaven who don't believe in hell. Reminds me of the, uh, the young lady, Christian girl Susie, who, uh, who came home from college one day, and she was all happy. She was just oh, beside herself. And Mama said, Susie, what's, what's, what you so happy about? She said, oh, Mom, I met a boy today, and we're in love. What's his name? Johnny. Oh, Johnny is so wonderful. We're going we're gonna to get married. I know he's going to ask me. Mom said, will you make sure you and Johnny are a good match? So a couple days later, Susie comes home and big crocodile tears in her eyes. And she says, Mom, Johnny says he wants to marry me. But Johnny don't believe in hell. Oh, Susie. Big tears running down her eyes. Mama holds her in close and said, oh, baby, that's okay. You go ahead and marry Johnny, and together we'll teach him about hell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some, of the, some of the best ways to learn it, huh? Some people don't believe in hell. They really don't. They need a good mother-in-law, huh? <laughs> But listen to what the Bible says. <clears throat> First Peter 4, 5, we read, they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Acts 10, 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. 2 Corinthians 5, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due him. For what he has done in the body, whether good or bad. And listen to this interesting passage in Jude 1.6. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority. He's talking about judging angels here too. But left their proper dwelling. These are the ones who fell with Satan. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. And see, what the Bible tells us really is that all of history is pointing toward one great day. It's called judgment day. It's called uh, harvest time. The Bible is pointing to this moment when, when God will judge, Jesus will judge, the living and the dead will be resurrected to be judged and then sentenced for eternity to either heaven or hell. Now, I don't know all that it's going to look like there, but I like to imagine God 
sitting behind a throne and there's lines of people. This is just the way I imagine it. Lines of people and maybe he's got some of the apostles up there with him or some angels and they're, everybody's waiting to get up to give their account of what they did while in the body, what they did with Jesus. And so maybe you're standing there and right across in the other line is your one, but you, you weren't really ever serious about him. You, you, you never really did pray fervently for him. You never did get the opportunity to build a bridge because springtime came and, and you got your golf clubs out or, uh, you know, you started vacationing or something and it just kind of subsided with you and you meant to do it, but you never did it. I mean, you still care about the guy. You still want him to go to heaven, but you realize now as he looks over at you and makes eye contact that there is fear, real fear in his eyes because he realizes what's going on up there at the front of the line and people are being sentenced for eternity and the, the wicked are being taken in one direction and the righteous in another direction. And so you're, 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 you're standing there and you're like, I wish I had prayed for him. I wish I had interceded for him. I wish I had reached out to him. And so your one is going to hell. Your one's going to hell. Now, I know that's not the best motivation. Maybe it is for some, but it is a motivation for why we need to pray for one. We need to pray for one. And we can't stop. That's what Paul was talking about at the end of 1 Corinthians 15 when he said, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Thinking about those poor people in Ukraine, you know, if we can believe everything we see, and I know we can't, but I believe they're, they're fleeing for their lives. And I, I, I don't know if I shared this already or not, but I saw some uh, the other day on the news, they were rolling their, their uh, suitcases. You know, I was in an airport just the last few days and uh, they were rolling their suitcases down the road to flee. And, you know, so the thing to me was, oh, they got all the modern suitcases. And one guy was carrying his TV. I don't know, did you see this? One guy had a suitcase in his right hand and under his left arm. Remember, honey, I said, look, he's got his TV. It's like a 48-inch TV, and he was carrying it uh, out. I don't know, anybody else see this? <clears throat> yeah, he was carrying it out, this fleeing Ukraine. And... Um, you know, some people, that's, that's what they'd grab if the house was burning. So he was holding his TV under his arm and rolling his suitcase. And I wonder, what's it going to take for you and for me to realize that it's time to flee? We got to run. Resist the devil and he'll flee from us. But, you know, there's going to come a time, I think, maybe physically, who knows, who knows? We thought modern warfare, we thought conventional warfare was over with, but Putin's showing us it's, you know, it's mano y mano. It's tanks and trucks and missiles and that kind of thing. We thought it was going to be all from the air. And just imagine a day maybe in our life when something like that's going to happen, but maybe it's not a physical thing, maybe it's a spiritual thing, the trumpet call. I don't think you're going to be grabbing your TV. 
and I'm not sure you're going to be even grabbing pictures off the wall. You better be ready. You better be ready for that day because it's coming. It's coming. Judgment day is coming. And the second thing I want to tell you from this uh, parable is that the conflict is real. This conflict, this, this pull of the world, this intermingling. Honestly, if you spent some time with me one-on-one, and I could spend some time with each one of you one-on-one, and we could get down to the core issues of your life, you know probably what we would be able to say is that you're, you're too entangled in the world. You're too attached to your stuff. You, 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 you are too uh, connected to the physical in your life. And you need to unwind yourself. You need to disconnect yourself. Now that's really easier said than done. And that's the acknowledgement in the parable. That's what the master who was representing the son of man said. You know what? Let it go for now. Let it go for now. But on judgment day, we'll take care of it. Let it go for now. And so I suppose our goal is to, is to lean less and less on the world and more and more on Jesus. Now, we live in a world where we absolutely have to have the physical. One person will criticize somebody for supporting a cause that supports something they don't like. And yet that person, you know, shops at a store that sells stuff that people are dying with. And uh, you, you understand what I'm saying? <clears throat> Our lives are so intermingled and intertwined. You can't shop anywhere. You can't eat hardly anywhere. You can't watch anything that doesn't have some kind of a worldly intermingling with it. Are you with me? You understand what I'm saying here? That's our lives today. Some of our favorite shows on TV have filthy language in them, sexual innuendos. We wonder why, uh, we wonder why uh, young men and young women are struggling with purity because the way we dress today and, uh, you know, younger people especially, and the way, uh, and I've seen older people too trying to be hip, and the, and the way we, uh, the things we watch, the commercials we're bombarded with, the inundation of a sexual temptation and innuendo, it's, a, it's no wonder we're, we have the problems we have in our world. And so you take a person who has no accountability, nobody to check him, nobody to say, stop it, nobody to say, that's inappropriate. Yeah, he's going to walk down that path, and that's what he's going to get into. Unless he's fighting hard with help of the Holy Spirit to untangle himself from that, to get rid of the stuff that pulls him down and pulls him back to confess those secret sins before God and maybe before a confidant and say, I need some help with this. The conflict is real. It's real. The devil wants to plant zizania seeds in your marriage. He does. He wants things to grow up looking like the real thing, but they're really fake. He wants to plant zizania seeds in your family, at your job, uh, in your recreation life. He he wants to plant these seeds in your life. He wants to offer you something that appears on the outside to be beautiful, but really it is rotten 
to the core. God, on the other hand, gives us all that's good. He gives us good. He takes what's bad and makes it good, Romans 8, 28. The counterfeit and the fake, he can, he can clean it up and certify it, legitimize it, or get rid of it in your life if that's what needs. The Bible says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now, don't misunderstand here. The two of them are not equal. It's not like there's this great cosmic battle between God and Satan. That's, that's not happening. <clears throat> you know, Satan is at loose in the world, but Satan has limited power. And I think Satan is kind of uh, my personal view of the, uh, of the times the way they are. I believe the devil's on a chain right now. I think the church has chained the cross has chained the devil, but his leash is long and his reach is long. And it's too many people wander inside his reach and they get bit and they get stuck and they get, they get stopped there in their life. But the, the cross was the stake that pinned the devil. But there will come a day when the devil, Revelation 21, 22, will be loosed. He'll be loosed for a short while, and all hell will break loose, and we need to be ready. And the Bible says on that judgment day that he will separate the good from the bad, and he will throw the bad into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know what that is? That's this, it's so, it's painful here. Physical pain, mental pain psychological pain, the pain of being trashed for eternity. You know, that was the picture of hell. Gehenna was a trash pit. But this, this gnashing of teeth is the sound of regret. It's the sound of, oh, why didn't I listen? I could have been with them, but here I am now. I had the opportunity. It's the sound of regret of the chance of a lifetime. And that's the sound we're going to hear from our one if we don't work to get them to Jesus. Now, I don't know what your eschatology is here, but you know some people think there's going to be a rapture of the good. But this parable and others kind of indicate that the rapture is going to be for the bad. He's going to take the bad out. He's going to take the bad fish out. That's kind of what Matthew 13 paints and, and Matthew 24 as well. One will be, two will be grinding at the mill, one will be... One will be gone, one will be left. We, some people think the one that's gone is the good, but I think the way the Bible teaches the one that's bad is the reapers taking out the bad and throwing them into the fire. But that doesn't matter for us. We just need to be ready. Now, I want to illustrate for you this conflict, all right? And I've asked a couple of our musicians to come and help me out. So musician, my wife, and I need another one. Where is he? There he is. There he is. All right, so see, we live in this world. We live in the world where we're kind of walking, dancing to the sound of music. And um, we, we first hear the noise, the song of the, of the world. And it sounds maybe something like this. All right, now that's the sound of the world. And I know what you're thinking. You think, that's, 
Jeff could never hit a terrible sound, but that's a terrible sound. But you know, that sound grows familiar to us. That sound grows familiar to us. And we start responding to that sound. Let's hear it again. It's this sound. But when Jesus came into the world, he brought a new song, the Bible says. He brought a new song, a new sound, and, and the sound of the kingdom. And it sounds maybe something like this. All right. And so that's a different sound. Can you hear the difference? I hope you can or you're deaf this morning, right? And so we live in a world now where both these sounds are happening at the same time. And sometimes it's hard to distinguish between the two sounds, isn't it? And so what we need to do is we need to turn down this sound. And we need to turn up this sound. Because there will come a day when the Lord will return and he'll bring the kingdom in its fullness. The goats and the sheep and the good and the bad will be separated out. And uh, we will no longer hear this sound. One more time. But we'll hear this sound for eternity. Oh, that's a sweet sound right there. And that's the sound. Thank you, guys. You did a great job for not practicing with me. So listen, this is the story. This parable is the story of the history of the world and life as we know it. Judgment day is coming, and the conflict is real. Why should you pray for your one? Because of that. Would you stand with me? And I'm going to pray. Musicians are going to come back out and play a sweet sound. We're going to sing a couple more songs, and we're just going to open up this time for you to worship, take communion, give your offering. You can do that online or in the plate. You can write the name of a one down. You can come pray for your one or be prayed with. Lord, thank you so much for your for your call, for your song, for your sound. Help us, Lord, to, to tune into that sound, to, to listen for that, to, to, to be tuned in away from the noise and the sound of the world and, and the intertwinement of those things and to lean toward you. Lord, that's my prayer. And help us, God, to pray for one and to take as many with us as we can. That's my prayer in Jesus' name.